Hello, everybody. This is Meaning What, and I'm Matt Wiseman. Thank you for joining me today. This is kind of a special occasion. I don't really do these so close to one another after just doing the Georgia runoff episode. But after the events of, of yesterday, with the what some people are calling riots, I don't really like that word, but uh, I'll call it a takeover in DC of, of some protesters and marchers. I felt like compelled to, to do something about it, to say something about it, so I've been thinking about it a lot and I'm just trying to get it out so maybe I can make some sense of it and maybe you listening, you can make some sense of it as well. So bear with me, I'll try and go quickly. There's a lot of information, there's a lot I want to discuss, but I don't want to keep you all day, so I'll get right to it. So um, here are the subjects I'm going to discuss. I'm going to discuss uh, what happened with the DC takeover, what the reactions were that I saw, um, the late shows, the online left, and and my own personal take. And then I want to talk about why. So it's in three parts. What happened, reactions, and why. Part one, what happened? So to set the stage, um, the Georgia runoffs had gone late into the night two nights ago, and the the, the Senate joint session was uh, called, as it was supposed to be called, to basically rubber stamp the Electoral College results of the federal election uh, for president. This is all, you know, been mandated. It's all part and parcel. This is just business as usual. This is nothing abnormal. And of course, there were going to be some marches and a rally. And and Trump has been thinking about this for months, kicking himself, and he's not been able to do much at all, except think about this stuff. You know, he got to golfing in on Christmas, but beyond that, this is all that's been on his mind, and he, there's been the uh, Stop the Steal campaign. And so he's been campaigning even during the Georgia runoffs. I think he went down there twice, but his people were down there constantly with, you know, Powell and Giuliani and um, all these, his whole law, law team that had all these lawsuits. So anyway, and all the lawsuits didn't go through. So the federal courts had said, okay, this is not gonna fly it's not a big you know it's it's not it's not a thing the 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 elections were fine um all the states passed their elections and they certified their own results and they certified the electoral electoral college results so that's all fine and all they needed to do um, is to get it certified by congress you know and because an obscure rule they have to do this and if Congress wasn't going to do it, if the Senate wasn't going to do it, then it was going to go to the House. So 
Trump got it in his head that he could continue to stop the steel campaign by getting some people to support him, by getting some, uh, only Republicans would do this, so the Republican Party officials to back him, representatives in the House. And of course, there's some sycophants in the House. I think there's a few QAnon representatives in the House. So they were going to do whatever he said anyway. Um, you know, Matt Gates comes to mind as far as somebody who's kind of a Trump sycophant and his owes his career to Trump. But then you have in the Senate, there's a few too. And I think there was something like 13 different politicians that had signed off on not stop the steal on the whole campaigns, but they had nominally supported it. And they were going to say that they were not going to vote to certify the election results, which is irrelevant. There were still going to be plenty of people in the Senate that were going to. But them to say they're not going to certify the election results as if they had real concerns over the validity of our elections and that our democratic process is flawed, um, it is for other reasons, but in, in, in the execution of it was flawed and that the popular will of the people and the, the way that elections were handled was wrong. They were actually going to say that our elections were handled poorly and should not be counted, essentially declaring whoever should they choose to be the president, the president, as opposed to who, what the people choose. Not to get into that we only have a choice between A and B. Uh, it's something entirely different, but that is an election problem. So the day of comes, and they're gonna, the Senate's going to do this, and they have that session, and they have the marches outside, and the Stop the Steal marches. And there's a couple thousand um, Make America Great Again MAGA people that are all about the stop the steal. They're all about Donald Trump, and they'll do whatever he says. They march, and Trump is at the rally, and there's a rally towards the end where he's at the White House, and then he says, let's go over to the Capitol building where they'll do this thing, and we're going to, you know, praise the people that are going to stand with us. Um, And he's like, I'm going to go with you, and he doesn't. He doesn't end up going with them, but they all go over to the Capitol uh, Capitol Hill, where Congress is in session doing their jobs, certifying the election, the the um, presidential election results, and there's congressional police that are supposed to keep people out, and the marchers decide they want to go into the Capitol. You know, were they urged on by this? Was it uh, incited? Was it directed by Donald Trump or any of his operatives? I don't know, but this march and this protest became more than that. And they entered Capitol Hill while it was in session. Some police were told to not show up for work and they didn't. And then some police were letting people in to the barricades, inside the barricades and not doing their jobs um, and and basically threatening (laughs) Congress members uh, indirectly by not securing them as there is their job and their responsibility. And they let people into that, into close to the building. And then there was bats and riot shields that the, the protesters had. I'm told that they also had guns and that they were armed. You know, these most, mostly uh, white protesters. Um, some have used other names, but I, I'm, I'm not really sure. It looked like a lot of them were white. 
I didn't see too many people of color, if any at all, uh, from the photos I saw. Um, they were, they broke the windows and they climbed through the windows of Congress and they got into Capitol Hill and they were walking around with their phones out and there's all this video and they have uh, uh, bats and uh, batons and gas masks and things. And they're not wearing masks to protect themselves from the pandemic, but they are um, wearing, you know, the, the red Make America Great Again Trump hats. And some of them have flags that say, you know, Trump is the legal president, uh, which he is, but they, I think they mean for the next term. And some of them had Confederate flags. So this has gone awry, very much so. They were using some of the barricades to actually knock down some doors. Uh, and they were gassed and Congress was told to evacuate uh, and to put on their gas masks because they were going to put tear gas out. And there was some kind of resistance from the police, even though some police officers were taking selfies those self-portraits with the protesters slash intruders that have broken and entering and they are threatening the lives of uh, Congress and the Senate. And the Senate has emergency precautions where they all were evacuated. So all congressmen, all congresspeople, all congresswomen, all senators, they were all evacuated. And then these, these people that were just got in, they... Um, they had the building, and I guess they were trying to do something legally to overthrow government. It's very strange. I'm not sure what the demands were. It seems that the demand was to have Trump be the president, which is against the will of the people. But yet these people are masses, to, you know, a mass of people declaring another reality that goes against the laws of the U.S., which is undemocratic, because it's not the majority of people, it's a, a select group that has gone off the rails here. Okay, so that's what happened. Eventually, after a couple hours of occupying this, um, Donald Trump does make a statement, he does call the National Guard uh, after being pestered by his staff to do so for a while. He calls in the National Guard. He does make a statement. He says, everybody go home and be peaceful. Um, remain peaceful, I think were his exact words, as if this was a peaceful act to storm the Capitol Hill. Uh, and attack, attack the institution of democracy. Now, I'm not saying American democracy is perfect, but this is the institution that represents what we know of a democracy, and this is how we conduct our business. And they want to declare Trump, uh, someone who is not duly elected, to be the next president of the United States. And that's not democracy. So this is the concern. But Trump makes this statement and says, remain peaceful and go home, you're great people and I love you. So he is encouraging them to continue supporting him but also to continue being this aggressive force. And of course, um, Congress reconvened and many senators and Congress people were outraged. Some senators like Josh Hawley and uh, Ted Cruz 
continued to support him even after all of this. And these are people that are cynical, that don't really go to his rallies, that weren't really about the Stop the Steal movement. They're just nominally there. And so now that they're nominally in support, they continue nominally being in support after this egregious direction of weaponized trust and loyalty from his supporters. He essentially was sicking them on Congress. And that's a problem. Uh, some Congress people had actually uh, drafted articles of impeachment. They have asked for all um, Republicans who are attacking democracy in this particular effort in the Stop the Steal campaign to be removed from office and for some sort of consequence and accountability. So that's what happened. Part two, the reactions. Uh, I watched some of the late shows and some online left, and of course I have my own opinions um, that first came to me and then things that I've kind of ruminated on. Uh, it's been obsessing me uh, for the past 24 hours, and I'm sure a lot of you have also been really taken back and, and trying to process what we saw yesterday. So um, the late shows, people were angry. People were calling for accountability. Um, they're a little, they're all mainstream media networks, so they're very much into the, um, the liberal talking points, you know, they might find on MSNBC or CNN. Uh, and they, they were saying it's, it's Trump, and Trump is a, is a big part of it. They're not wrong, but they were saying it's Trump, and we need to remove Trump, and we need accountability. Um, some of them were even reaching into uh, some of the more of the masterminds and the leaders that were also complicit in this. Uh, it's a little more than that, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the online left, uh, they were saying it's Trump as well, which was kind of sh shocking to me. You know, usually there's a little more uh, nuance and they don't just jump on with whatever the, um, the, the left mainstream outlets are actually saying. But Trump was absolutely complicit with this. He, you know, has not been a good actor throughout the years as president. He's promised he ran in 2016, in 2015, 2016, as something of a populist and sold people on this idea that he could be a populist. And then he was an established Republican when he was in office, you know, as far as what he did, not necessarily what he said. And then he was also had this perchance towards... Um, uh, patriarchal talking points, you know, patronizing people and, and saying, you know, daddy's going to take care of it, which is what they praise Como for. But uh, he ended up, what, you know, building a wall and antagonizing Russia and being a hawk there and antagonizing China and being a hawk there, uh, antagonizing the Middle East uh, as far as his band and immigrants uh, on the border, really being inhumane with all of that which is, is, is a nationalist approach, which is something that we've seen from the, the, Demo, from the, the Grand, Great Old Party, right, the GOP. So um, 
Yeah, he's to blame. But I also saw a lot of people that, that were surprised, too. This is the Hillary Clinton talking point, right? Blame the voters. They're a basket of deplorables. Like, all of a sudden, they saw a deplorable come up again. I saw people call the voters loon, uh, lunatics. I saw them be, be called, you know, a, a mob or a cult. And I just think that's very strange after the um, the BLM protests and, and then the solidarity we have with the masses. And yeah, these people don't have our demands, but they are making demands of their government to change. And that's exactly what we're doing. So it, it, I was conflicted with the way that some people were doing that. And not all of them were. Obviously, the police angle, that the police were complicit. And then there was a big difference between, you know, if these people were... Uh, multi-ethnic brown and black people going for justice as happened with BLM that they would be treated more unfairly more brutally and that's probably true but also it has something to do with the way our police have been militarized and how they are trained to deal with uh, protesters which I'm not saying is good but that happens when you have the National Guard, that happens when you have the U.S. Marshals, that happens when you have outside forces that are trained to treat protesters, American citizens, as, insur as insurgents. Um, so as if they are, the police are an occupying force. It's very different. Uh, and there was a lot of talk of um, removal and impeachment and some debate about that. But honestly, the this is the bubble and it bursts for Trump, but this is Trump's bubble. And that's what I heard a lot from the left as well. So there's a lot of overlap there, a little more nuanced, of course. Um, my take, my initial reaction to this whole thing was, oh my God, it's finally happening that I expected this. And I understood the pain and the desperation for change and the way that the status quo has really oppressed the average person, whether you're black or brown, or even you're poor and you're white. Um, the average person that's a millennial or a Zoomer has less opportunity than their parents did and any, any generation before us. It's always gone up until us. And there's a real hurt out there. And there's the end of manufacturing has finally gone into everybody. And, some towns have been hollowed out and we're dealing with an opioid epidemic and a homelessness crisis and in a joblessness rate that is really inexcusable and wage stagnation and here these people are and they're believing this guy as if some kind of savior because they just they don't they don't have anything else and so i felt compassion for these people and I felt a little bit smug and like well good maybe now our elected officials that don't listen to us will listen maybe now they'll do something because during the pandemic they let people get unemployed during the pandemic they let many people go to food lines during the pandemic they gave trillions of taxpayer dollars to businesses and that didn't really need it. Businesses that needed to be bailed out because they failed yet again, like the airlines. And they gave tons of money through banks that we already know are failures since the banking crisis in 2007, 2008. And 
We're going through this economic depression. We're going through this food insecurity, housing insecurity, pandemic crisis where people don't have jobs or they can't go to their jobs and they are resenting the government for lockdowns because of a biological pandemic that the government is not taking care of. And they're angry and they're grieved because their whole lives they've been undercut. And a lot of that has to do with national policy. So is government the bad guy? And if so, can government be the solution? It, it really is that simple that the distrust is palpable and that the ground out there in America is a powder keg. And anybody like Trump could just light a match. And that was true over the summer when we saw the largest protests in American history with the Black Lives Matter protest, the George Floyd protest, with Breonna Taylor being killed by police officers, with uh, Jacob Blake being shot by a police officer seven times in the back. And then these people got nothing. There's nothing happened to these police officers. And then George Floyd was killed in front of us all when Derek Chauvin kneeled on his neck and he suffocated in front of the world and we were angry. Well, I'm not saying that necessarily the MAGA supporters, the Trump supporters, the QAnon people, these Confederate flag wavers, they're all in alliance with that, but they were part of the world in which people were protesting. They were part of the world in which finally somebody got out of their houses and onto the streets during a pandemic to say, we need to do something about police brutality. We need to do something about racial inequality. We need to do something about our priorities locally, state, and nationally when it comes to the lives of Americans. And of course, that was spun into some kind of nonsense culture war. But that is a form of democracy. People taking to the street to petition their government disrupting everyday lives of other people, and maybe you're trying to just get to work and get through all of this. That is part of how we express ourselves. It's really very risky, and it takes a lot to do. And so I immediately had compassion for these people. That this is what they had to do to get heard. Because voting didn't work, and protests didn't work. Maybe this is the kind of fear they need. And I'm not advocating for violence. I think violence will never, ever be the answer. But something needs to be done. And government has made it their business to do nothing. Mitch McConnell has made it his business to make sure government does nothing. And that's fine with the majority of Democrats and the majority of Republicans and the majority of people who make their living being strategists and being academia and all of this. They all want the status quo and they want nothing to change, but it's getting worse. So that was my take. It was just, I support transparency and finding out what really happened. I support consequences for these actions. I support accountability and truth and reconciliation and that we have to kind of get together and we got to get beyond this. But the only way to do so is to actually be honest with what happened and be, conf and, and, and be compassionate to one another and prosecute the people who are the masterminds. Obviously, you want to watch the people who 
um, are part of domestic terrorism, part of hate groups that are, are potential to have these kind of problems. But it's not, it is their fault. They have agency, they made the decision, they broke the law, and they're going to have to suffer for that. But that's not the same as the people that directed them, the people that were just making money off of them. They were literally fundraising during this thing. Some politicians are trying to raise money during this thing. So the role of money really needs to be evaluated if we're going to even attempt to try and get some civility out of this, attempt to get some kind of future that is worth having out of this swamp that we live in in the U.S. So don't blame the voter for speaking to their interests. They might not always make the right choice, but their pain is the same as of yours and mine. But the elected official and those in power and those in authority, whether it's church leaders or it's people on you know, the mainstream media that are whipping up these things into frenzies or these elites that are going in public forums and these uh, lawyers who are saying, like, you know, um, like Powell and Giuliani, they're saying, you know, stop the steal and this whole campaign. All of those people should suffer because what are they doing? They are attacking the idea of democracy and they know it and they're doing it for cynical reasons because they want their, you know, pound of flesh from the American people. They want their taxpayer funding money. They want to fundraise. And it's disgusting and we should never have allowed it. Part three, why? Why does this happen? I got a little bit into this with the, my take and my reaction. Um, but first, before why, we have to tell you who, right? So you have the Stop the Steal marchers, obviously the pawns and all this. Then you have Giuliani and Powell and his legal team, these people that had this, this campaign going, the Stop the Steal campaign. And there's some elected officials behind that, but mostly the people that were on the ground are kind of the officers and all this, and they're directing things. And I think there will be some accountability amongst them. Hopefully Trump is amongst them. He was definitely accountable here. He was definitely present there. Then there was the leaders, the ideological leaders, like who is funding all of this? Who is trying to make this happen? And, and who tries to undermine democracy in general? You know, that's the, the deeper question. You know, who, who is constantly out there? You know, unfortunately, as the GOP is a permanent minority party and they are not supported by the Democrat, uh, the majority of people in a democracy, then they sometimes have policies that are anti-democratic. And you can see this with election problems. In Georgia has been terrible. Apparently there's like something like 200,000 people that were kicked off the rolls and even these Georgia runoffs. So there is real problems out there, but these problems aren't Donald Trump's, the problems that Donald Trump's pointing to. He's just exploiting the fact that we have problems with our democracy. He's exploiting the fact that our elections are mishandled so that he can get what he wants. It's cynical and it's a grift. And he made money from this. Money is the root of all evil. Trump is the proof of that. So you had the pawns, the marchers. You had the 
the officers who really led the stop to steal, and you had the leaders, the, the GOP enablers and Trump, who were just signing off on this. Um, there's lists out there if you want to read the list. But then I think there's also ideological groundwork that has been laid, and that is that can go back to Nixon as far as his you know race baiting, his Southern strategy, the way that you blame others and you direct the people that believe in you towards others and disparaging others and and saying it's the immigrants' fault, saying it's the black person's fault, saying it's the poor people's fault, saying it's the Chinese fault or it's the Russians' fault. All of this is classic misdirection that all of our political officers, you know, especially with Russiagate, we've seen, you know, Russia, 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 Venezuela, like these things, you know, socialism, it's, you see it on the left and you see it on the right. Like the, the left... American spectrum is is a right-wing pro-corporate spectrum and what they do is they disparage anybody who gives labor and working people any kind of dignity and power because that's the only real threat to their power because their power is relative to corporate power you know so that's what people say when they, they say the U.S. is beholden to the oligarchy. But there was the pawns, the officers, the leaders, and then the intellectual groundwork it comes from everywhere. It comes from the social media corporatists. It comes from large private businesses. It comes from the pundits on the mainstream media, uh, whether it's CNN, Fox, uh, New York Times, The Atlantic, the MSNBC, even uh, NPR. All of these people are complicit in creating a groundwork of desperation and confusion. So there is no standard understanding of what the truth is. There is no authority within the news or the news media that we can trust because all of them have been politicized and they have their own agendas and that has come full circle. That has come up. Uh, Matt Tabibi writes, I uh, wrote a book called Hate Inc. And it's all about the business model of these places and how they have decided to become echo chambers of hate and disparaging the other, the other being the other political party, not the other being, you know, strangers. And that is part of this. That the the economists that think that you know the the trickle down economics was the way to go that that you know giving tax breaks to the richest people that and increasing the disparity the disparity uh, and the inequality in the U.S. was a good idea or even supporting kind of a laissez-faire capitalism or capitalism in general at which there is inequality built into the very system and taking us away from more demand size economics that is uh, Keynesian. Those people that are to blame too. We know what works. Trickle up, right? We know it doesn't work and it doesn't change how politicians act. And it just makes things worse. The rich only get richer and the government helps them do so. And there is no accountability for government officials. There is no price they have to pay for bad decisions. There's only success. Everybody fails up in D.C. And that has to stop.
That is corruption. And the mass of Americans are desperate and they're suffering. So it's like 45 years of bad policy and their Democratic Party and their Republican Party are private institutions that keep things opaque and away from the government, away from the people. So that's a little bit about who, but why, 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 why? You might have heard that there's a corrosive influence of money in Washington. Well, it's true. There's, a, there's also, a, a, you might have heard the term failed state. And you might have turned of, uh, maybe heard of ideology, that people are prisoners to their own ideology, these ideological prisons. All those things are true. But what does it mean? Okay, I'm going to try and be as concise as possible and as easy. It means basically that the material conditions for most Americans are declining. Period. Full stop. And that inequality, the difference between the richest people and the average person, is more severe than almost any other time in the history of the U.S. It's comparable to where the Robin Barons were. So, in essence, there's a social contract between in governance. So there's a social contract in governance. A leader gets to lead as long as they can provide for the health and the welfare of a citizen. You protect me, I'll let you be on top of things. And that's not been true for at least 50 years. And it's only getting worse. People call this the collapse of capitalism, late-stage capitalism, end-stage capitalism. They call it a failed state. But what it really just means is that people have needs, wages, protections, safeties, uh, having some time off, some mental health time, some having to, to, to get health care, trying to take care of their family, making sure that their kids can do better than they do, making sure that there's a job for them. And that job is actually going to be prosperous if they put in 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of their life into it, that they're going to get something out of it. And that social contract's been broken. And these ideological prisons of, of, of laissez-faire capitalism or neoliberalism, where there is a prevailing ideology that has become the limits of what people think are possible. So the prevailing ideology is that deficits matter and that you have to be aware of the deficit and you can't really spend on the people because you can't give power to the people. That's not your position is to look after the people because that's welfare and that's bad. Um, but all, all your only job, the only thing you can really do is to nudge around the edges, you know, ask private businesses to do a little bit of this or a little bit of that, give them incentives and penalize them a little bit if they step out of line. You know, that's how you enforce your rule, a little bit here, a little bit there. As if you're in a car and it's going super fast and you just can just touch it a little and make moves. Because if you do too much, you're going to wreck the whole thing. The actuality is very different. That is not true. But that's all they think they can do. And so they've let the private market dictate the terms of how the market is going to act. That is not a free market. The role of government is unique 
because they can print money. The role of government is also unique because they can set the terms of exchange. They can say some things need to be subsidized and or they have to be price controls and they can't pay less than a certain amount. So that controls the welfare of the people. They could say there's all kinds of instruments for this. They, they, they can do a lot more. It's like having a pickup truck and just taking it to the grocery store once a week. Well, that's how our, our politicians run the government. They think that the, the, the pickup truck that they're in, the government, can only go to the grocery store and back. That's all you can do with it. And I would say, why are you the one driving a pickup truck when you need, you know, maybe a subcompact, you need maybe a, a scooter or something. You can take your bicycle and do what a pickup truck can do for your needs. But there is utility that is built into the, abs- the, the function of government. And the people that are leading our government do not think that they can set the terms of relations. They try and set the terms through trade policy internationally, but they don't do it nationally. They don't really monitor or control the, the stock market or what's possible for businesses or, you know, like minimum wages. They just, there is this hands-off theory, whether it's anarcho-capitalism, you know, libertarianism, or it is um, liber- laissez-faire capitalism, which is uh, neoliberalism. They just think that they don't have a right to participate as a government would, to break up monopolies, to have antitrust suits, to not give people impunity, to make them liable, to make people liable in the media, you know, through the FTC, uh, the communications, uh, and FCC, sorry. They, they have all this power. They have a tremendous amount of power, and they don't use it. And that is an offense, and it does have real consequences. One of the real consequences is people die. They literally die because they can't get access to health care. They literally die destitute, and they become destitute because they've had health care and they can't afford it. That's one of the things that government can absolutely solve, and they don't care about dead citizens. So I wonder how many dead citizens are okay before the social contract is breached? What percentage of the population has to die at the hands of the negligent government so that we say the government is illegitimate and that their, their connection to us is severed? How many people have to become bankrupt? How many people have to lose a limb or lose their jobs or lose their livelihood before the government can say, I'll give you a job. I'll take care of your medical bills. I'll I'll make the best use of my citizens as possible and I'll make you the best version of yourself as possible because that is my goal as much as it is your goal and I want you to live a quality life. And don't ever let them tell you they can't because they absolutely can. And they do. We basically have a socialist government because we have been funding the defense industry exclusively for many years. We have basically taken over all of the bills of the airlines for many years. 
we are telling the banks that they don't have to worry about their mistakes. We'll take care of them for at least 15 years. So it's only a bad socialism when you actually have to help people like they did during the New Deal. That's the end of America. That's it. If you can't raise to the challenge that we're facing. So that's a little bit about why. So I told you about what happened. the rally and the, the takeover of Capitol Hill. And fear finally reaching those in the halls of power. Fear and desperation that we all seem to have, at least for the past year. I told you a little bit about the reactions from people online and the late shows and what I had to think. I told you a little bit of an explanation to my understanding of, of who was involved in making this happen and perhaps why this happened. I just wanted to finish with what can be done. Well, and what can be done? A, a, a lot. There's a lot. There's a reason to hope. There's a lot that can be changed. So let me just get into it before keep you all night. The government can do a lot. They've done a lot in the past. When they adopted Keynesian economics and demand-side economics, they, they rolled out the New Deal. And there was a jobs program, and there's an infrastructure plan, and there's progressive taxation. And all of that ended up being a boost that really carried the U.S. from the door of destruction, really, with the Great Depression, and then into World War II, and it carried all of the U.S. into a golden age that we're still benefiting from, even if it hasn't been, it's benefited less and less people over the years. And so we know what can be done. We have a roadmap. We've done amazing things in the past. And the New Deal is a great example. What else can the government do? They have, they can do universal programs. And we saw this very popular in the primary, um, you know, in Bernie Sanders campaigns in 2016 and in 2020. It's very much center stage, but Medicare for all, a universal health care of some kind, the Green New Deal, which includes doing something about um, joblessness with the jobs program and doing something about innovation and, and dealing with climate change, the climate crisis that's emerging. Universal basic income, which Andrew Yang really popularized and even came from Milton Friedman, Mr. Free Market himself. Loan forgiveness programs, really it's just a jubilee. That's what's been in the Bible even. You can forgive people their loans and let them start over again. We don't need a generation trying to dig themselves out of a hole. Now you can resent that, but this is about the future of America. It's not just about some people. Free college education. All of these things are possible, and we can actually do them with a fraction of the budget of what the U.S. is already paying. 
a fraction. It is cheaper to do these things than to not do them. You know, you don't even need to have taxation for it. You can take it out of, you know, the tax breaks that we give all of these major corporations, these tax incentives. We know it doesn't work, so why do we keep doing it? It's part of the ideology of the corporatists. The rich keep getting richer, and in addition to that, they get paid by the U.S. taxpayer and by the leaders. Why? That's insane. We can de decrease defense spending, make them more accountable for what they fail and what they're doing. It's already out of control because we have crazy amounts of contractors that are just doing massive things. You know, the Blackwater mercenary group that you know killed all those people and Trump just pardoned these these people that are murderers. These are war criminals that actually got convicted. We don't need to fund them with our tax money. We don't need that. We have our own soldiers, but we do anyway. So we can cut defense spending and be totally fine. And we can end warfare. All of these global conflicts that we're in, it costs us trillions of dollars and we do it anyway. Why? If you care about Americans in America, can we just not have our troops die abroad? We could have election reform because there is election problems. So some of the things you could do with election reform is create federal standards, have federal funding of state and local elections, have compulsory voting. You could end private control of debates and media attention and media access and have standardized media access and, and, and you know, debate forums and they, people can buy into it as opposed to being controlled by private organizations. You could end anti-third party laws like, like spoiler laws um, that are throughout the states. If we have elected officials that can get ballot access just with just getting signatures and then they can be legitimate elected officials, then that should be enough to unlock a certain amount of funding. We don't need private organizations like the, the, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party controlling what we're able to vote for. That's not freedom. And it is a kind of control. And it is not helping Americans to actually feel like a democracy or feel like they're being listened to. So we need to end that. And lastly, the, the government can deal with the pandemic. Have domestic production of essential uh, safety protections. Have domestic production of the vaccine have a funded distribution network, federally and state funded, or even 100% federally distribution network so we can get people vaccinated. Have testing and tracing jobs programs. So the same places people can get a vaccine, they can also get tested. They can also get, you know, there can also be jobs for tracers. There's a lot of people that are unemployed. Why not employ them by tracing this thing so we can get it under control? We're one of the worst in the world have mass production and free mass for everybody you want them. You want people to wear it, make it easy for them, have a place where they can go pick it up. Um, you can reform and fund federally unemployment insurance, or at least, you know, have standards at which you're putting forward and then make all of the states make those standards because it is too wild and too varied and too important to exist. And if you have a jobs program, you don't need the unemployment. You could just employ people. It's insane. And lastly, you could have post office banking. 
If you're going to have a relief check that's going to be sent to people and you don't have a distribution network or you're going to have the small business protection uh, loans, the PPP loans, and you're going to have that subverted by the banks you give it to, don't give it to the banks. Do it yourself through this institution called the post office and banking through the post office. Anybody that lives in the U.S. knows that the post office has not been operating optimally and state and local businesses have not been operating optimally and they are, you have to make an appointment at the DMV. This is just proof of, a, of more of a failed state. How is that helping health and welfare if you can't even get people to get their car registered or you can't get relief payments to people? It's offensive. It is of breaking down of the government. And you wonder why people think that the government doesn't work when in their lived reality, the government doesn't work. And lastly, what can you do? What can we do as individuals, not in the government? Well, you can get informed. You can share your info. You can discuss information. You can listen to one another. You can be kind to one another. You can join mutual aid networks. You can get into political activity. You can get organized, uh, be an organizer for protests and whatnot, get into letter-writing campaigns, protesting, um, start co-ops, you know, business. Everybody can own that business. You can all make coffee or something, or whatever you want to do. It's best to get into something technical, by the way, skilled labor, if you're interested in co-ops. Um, you can start free stores. You can do soup kitchens yourself, you know, find out a soup kitchen program. Start a nonprofit. You can volunteer for uh, politicians that you support ideologically. You know, maybe you can run for office. You should. Why not? That's what democracy is about. You can support your local um, outreach, whether that's New York Cares with coat drives or going to prisons or visiting old people or going to hospitals or, you know, homeless shelters or doing hospice care or going, you know, soup kitchens that exist or churches. You get the idea. Lastly, I was going to say don't despair, but you can't really control your feelings, and I understand that. But know that despair and doubt are the enemies of progress and action. You just got to try. You have to focus on move for, uh, moving forward and accept that we all make mistakes. We all can be better, and that goes for me, and that goes for you, and that goes for our whole nation. Thank you for spending time with me, and I hope you found this useful.